0: Welcome to CISO's Insider's Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media.
1: So welcome, everybody. Today I'm speaking with Steve Ginty, uh, and today is actually a special edition episode. We'll be uh, trying to unpack and uncover a bit about uh, Attack surfaces, uh, recent attacks in the U.S., and you know, I, I decided to have a conversation with Steve, and he graciously graciously um, accepted. Uh, and uh, Steve is uh, Steve being a subject matter expert in this realm. Uh, so, Steve, maybe you can introduce yourself real quick.
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Really excited to uh, to talk with you today. Uh, as you said, my name is Steve Ginty, uh, and I am uh, the director of threat intelligence uh, here at RiskIQ. Uh, I work on a strategy team specifically looking at ways we can uh, leverage RiskIQ's data and intelligence to help organizations better make risk decisions and better utilize our data to help customers solve problems.
1: Great. And I always like to start off with a couple of icebreaker questions here. Uh, yeah, my, my, my two, I uh, wouldn't call them signature questions, but my two different questions would be, uh, what's your favorite drink? And if, if you can share anything about your marital status.
0: Uh, I am a, uh, a big coffee fan in the morning, uh, and so uh, I uh, get Cuban coffee from a place in Key West that my, my wife and I have, uh, uh, have been going for a while, uh, and so I ship it here to Memphis, where I live, uh, and so I start my day with, uh, with strong Cuban coffee, uh, and, and in the evening, uh, I like to switch to IPAs. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm a, a beer person, and so IPAs are, are my go-to beer
1: got it and you just mentioned memphis but um correct me if i'm wrong but aren't you from canada originally
0: not from canada but i do get that every once in a while i'm from outside of, uh, of boston and my wife's southern and so i think the mashup of the accents mm. uh, uh leads people to to think i've spent uh, spent a decent amount of time there
1: okay okay yeah i was thrown off by, by 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 some words you, that you were saying but anyway um so yeah, I mean, can, can you talk a bit about your area of expertise so we can try to focus this conversation and be you know very precise? And when we come when we come about to talk about the threat landscape and you know high level overview,
0: uh, sure. So uh, I've been in the industry for for over twelve years, uh, having roles uh, you know from the analyst level uh, you know up into managerial spaces. Uh, I started uh, my own uh, my own company um, uh, back in twenty fourteen. Uh, helping analysts dig into data to to answer questions around threat actors, uh, and so uh, I've evolved this kind of uh, expertise uh, to 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 transform that into how we help organizations better defend uh, their attack surface and understand the threat landscape. Uh, so my area of expertise that I really love to dig into is uh, is network data, uh, passive DNS information, uh, who is information, bits of, of internet, uh, you know, facing. Uh, insights that can let us understand the who, what, when, where, and why uh, behind uh, an attack or, or uh, the people tar- trying to attack an organization. Uh, and so here at RiskIQ, we can, we can leverage that all of that Internet-connected data uh, that we collect on a daily basis uh, to start to understand attack campaigns. Uh, if an actor is using a specific IP or domain as a part of their, their attack, uh, we can use breadcrumbs inside of our data collection and correlations inside of that data to maybe expand that one IP into a handful of IPs, domains, SSL certificates that maybe they may be using uh, in order to conduct that attack campaign. Um, and taking that kind of uh, actor-centric purview, uh, we've really expanded to, to understanding the vulnerabilities that these actors are, are using to target organizations. Uh, and we pair that understanding of, of actors and the vulnerabilities they use uh, to our collection and understanding of an organization's attack surface Uh, That would be all all their internet connected assets, uh, you know, servers, IPs, uh, web pages, hosts, etc. Anything that's uh, outward facing from a business that an attacker could could see uh, Mm -hmm. that may house a vulnerability that that they could leverage uh, to better make risk decisions or, or help that organization make risk decisions about managing their attack service.
1: And I was talking mostly about uh, private actors or like government-backed um, actors. When you're talking about the attackers. Uh,
0: broad, broad swath uh, really depends on on the customer or uh, and and what they are worried about. So you, you know, uh, initially I started my career in, in a space of doing investigations into uh, you know espionage-related and nation-state-related related actors. Um, but you know, as as things have evolved. Um, I've spent a lot more time in the, in the understanding ransomware space and uh, even crypto miners and, and low-level kind of uh, uh, threats that, that could uh, steal resources from organizations. So uh, it really depends on what the customer is uh, is interested in. We're, we're here to kind of help them uh, understand who the actors are, what the vulnerabilities are, and, and what the, the risks are to their uh, their enterprise.
1: Okay, got it. Um, talking a bit about the threat landscape, I'd like to have a high-level overview. But maybe we could start with one shocking fact in this space that you can share.
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think 2020, I thought twenty twenty was uh, was a big year for uh, for threat actors and the vulnerabilities they leverage. Um, but I think uh, as of Patch Tuesday yesterday, uh, we've hit uh, organizations have discovered uh, at, at least 80 zero days in the wild. Uh, meaning these are zero-day vulnerabilities that actors have been leveraging, uh, that companies have been made aware of, that they then have released patches for. Uh, and so they, uh, these are things that that are that are being actively exploited. Uh, and that eighty uh, surpasses uh, twenty twenty, which was the largest year on on record for for zero days caught in the wild. And I think that was somewhere in the in the mid thirties uh, for the entire year. And we haven't even closed out twenty twenty one. So uh, you know the. the the rapid uh, pace of these new vulnerabilities that organizations have to defend against, uh, you know, has been quite shocking for 2021. Uh, with with 80, and we still have uh, December to go.
1: <laughs> in your opinion, in in your expertise, what can you say about organizations and how they look at the threat landscape? Can you, I mean, let me rephrase the question. So, are we talking about like? I'm assuming larger organizations are, you know, better in reacting to, to threats, to to evolving threats, rather than, you know, smaller organizations?
0: Uh, It can be. Um, uh, That assumption uh, can be right at times, depending on the organization and how they're they're positioning. Um, A lot of this comes down to visibility, right? Um, so a, a large organization that has uh, conducted a significant amount of uh, mergers and acquisitions uh, and has a lot of, of IT infrastructure and legacy IT infrastructure to manage uh, may have just as hard of a time as a, as a medium-sized business that uh, that maybe doesn't have as much IT infrastructure in the wild uh, you know, or connected online. So uh, what we're finding is, uh, you know, is there's a lot of, of evolving uh, infrastructure to deal with. Uh, if you look at kind of 2019 into 2020 and in uh, the COVID era, a lot of these organizations had to rapidly stand up, uh, you know, capabilities to support remote work uh, and VPN equipment. Uh, and therefore, there's been, you know, a rapid deployment of uh, of infrastructure that has to be managed. There's been a shift to SaaS platforms. Uh, the acceleration to kind of uh, hybrid and c- hybrid cloud environments has certainly uh, uh, gone faster than we would have ever imagined pre-COVID, mm-hmm. and organizations yeah. took plans that were going to take five, ten years uh, to to complete and accelerated portions of them in a six-month period. Uh, and so I think uh, you know, uh, historically we could have probably said that organizations that were large uh, and and that had a had a big team to manage uh, this type of infrastructure uh, were on a better better footing. Uh, but I think everybody's kind of been uh, been thrown off a bit in this rapid kind of. Uh, acceleration to to hybrid work. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay and in your opinion where do organizations fail when trying to deal with the evolving threat landscape?
0: Uh, You know that's that's a tough question to answer. I I don't I don't know if I would I would classify it as as failing. I I think the the hard part is keeping up uh, right and so uh, you kind of look at the daunting pace of, of new vulnerabilities and legacy vulnerabilities that uh, that these actor groups are, uh, you know, are, are leveraging. Uh, you look at the shift from a lot of these, you know, legacy vulnerabilities and VPN equipment and, uh, and re- re- you know, remote uh, access devices uh, that used to be more the purview of, of nation state actors has moved its way into, uh, into the ransomware and cybercrime ecosystems. And so uh, organizations are struggling with that rapid transformation of both their infrastructure and the way actors have, uh, you know, have kind of reacted to that transformation and so i think you have a broader uh, swath of actors leveraging a broader swath of vulnerabilities uh, that you have to prioritize uh, and so uh, you know maybe old patch management cycles don't you know appropriately account for the rapid nature of how quickly a vulnerability is operationalized uh, so uh, you know if we look at 2021 Uh, and and a lot of the examples that the risk iq uh, research and intelligence teams have have dug into, uh, you know, the the most glaring kind of issue I see is, uh, and that we've noted, is, you know, the time to, uh, you know, the time to patch has been compressed. Uh, From the time a, you know, a a vulnerability is announced and a patch is released, uh, it's been roughly, you know, one to two weeks before ransomware actors or cyber criminals have started to leverage that vulnerability in the wild. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so this wasn't always the case. You usually had a lot longer time to, uh, you know, to, uh, to deal with the issue and and to patch. Uh, And so that compressed timeline is really putting a lot of strain on organizations, I think.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. But do you, do you have like any specific recommendations to to organizations on on what they can do better
0: I mean the way we're trying to help uh, is to you know is to help with the, that priority decision uh, right if you understand the actors that are that have targeted you or, or the type of actors that are targeting you uh, and the vulnerabilities that they've historically used and currently used uh, you can prioritize those vulnerabilities in, in your patch cycle quicker um, you know so kind of providing that insight into the threat actor who may be you know most worrisome for your organization, uh, and the vulnerabilities that they use to to target organizations, uh, may help you make better risk decisions uh, and and elevate that you know that patch uh, to a higher status. Um, you know, you look at it, you know it's every month there's a new critical vulnerability in some type of networking gear or VPN device or or what have you. Uh, and so you know, I imagine that that you know patch management teams are are kind of numb to the effects of uh, of all of these releases right Uh, and therefore you know we're trying to empower you know security operations groups and practitioners inside of organizations to make better or have better understanding of the actors and the the vulnerabilities that they use uh, so that they can work and partner with their vulnerability management team uh, you know to ensure the appropriate you know equipment is patched.
1: So how do you feel organizations should combine vulnerability intelligence and threat intelligence?
0: I think this is, uh, you know, this is going to be one piece that's key to, you know, to, to addressing this kind of daunting pace that organizations are, are, are up against in, uh, you know, vulnerability disclosures. Um, you know, we're trying to focus on, uh, on, on the who, what, when, where, why for these vulnerabilities, right? There can be critical vulnerabilities that are, uh, that are released or high vulnerabilities. Uh, that are released that that they're you know that are very hard to exploit and, and therefore may not be exploited very quickly by an actor. Uh, there are those vulnerabilities that are released and proof of concept code uh, is available on GitHub within you know six days, uh, and therefore the likelihood that a broader swath of actors is going to operationalize that information is higher. Uh, and so, combining an understanding of the vulnerability uh, and how difficult it, it is to exploit. Uh, combined with the intelligence uh, around, uh, you know, proof of concept code available, actively exploited in the wild, known groups attributed to to using this vulnerability, uh, are the pieces we're trying to bring together to to make this uh, easier to to deal with. Um, You know, because there's there's only a small tranche of vulnerabilities that are are actively leveraged in in given products uh, on a consistent basis. Uh, And so you're seeing a lot of organizations put out information about, you know, the top vulnerabilities that ransomware actors are using, uh, or you see uh, CISA came out uh, last week or the week before uh, with a, an advisory on the top, I think 200 uh, vulnerabilities uh, being exploited uh, that they have observed uh, and that they're you know, pushing governments to, to immediately patch on, on a, uh, an accelerated patch cycle. Uh, and so that information is very useful to an organization to make decisions on. Uh, If there's, you know, only a subsection of of vulnerabilities that are actively being exploited, uh, those are the ones we should prioritize, not saying we shouldn't get to the other ones or or that they aren't of a priority. Um, But if we know something is being exploited, uh, we need to address it quickly because the time to exploitation is compressing.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as promised, uh, I think we, we we discussed originally to have maybe to talk about and possibly reconstruct some of the, um, like, the recent uh, attacks. Um, and I know you, you've mentioned uh, the exchange attack and the SolarWinds attack. Um, I'm fine with talking about uh, either one or even both of them. But if you have any other, you know, uh, interesting case study that you'd like to share, that would be, you know, great. Go okay. for it
0: yeah one of the ones that recently took place uh was uh atlassian announcing a remote code execution vulnerability in their confluence server um and, and you know this this happened uh, at the end of of august august 25th they they announced this uh you know this remote code execution vulnerability and issued a patch uh and what we saw timeline wise was by the 31st of august uh proof of concept code was uh, available uh on the internet and in, you know uh, from multiple different vulnerability researchers very quickly. Uh, and by September 3rd, uh, only a few days later, uh, active exploitation w- was being seen in the wild. So this is, really highlights that kind of compressed timeline of uh, of exploitation. Uh, and so on, on the third, you also saw uh, a fair amount of security uh, companies, uh, Lacework and others coming out and saying they had observed actors uh, in this case, uh, dropping crypto miners uh, on these vulnerable um, confluence servers to, uh, to take advantage of the vulnerability and, and mine cryptocurrency. Um, interestingly enough, you also saw, uh, I think the third was a Friday, uh, you know, the US government and CISA came out, I think it was Cybercom, you know, was, on, was tweeting, uh, you know, patch immediately. This cannot wait until, you know, until Monday or over the weekend. And the fear there is, as we've seen through 2021, that ransomware groups are going to get in the in the game. Um, and so, you know, the, the worry is that kind of compressed time frame. Uh, and, and this is, you know, this compressed time frame is even more compressed than last year around this time when, when I was talking about this to, to organizations. And so, uh, you know, for me, it really highlights the uh, you know the, the issue that organizations face. Uh, and so, you know, for this single remote code execution vulnerability, you know, there were three actor groups explaining it in the wild. Uh, when we looked at, at our, uh, you know, collection across the internet, there were 55,000 uh, you know, IPs running, uh, you know, running versions of Confluence that could be impacted by this remote code execution vulnerability. Uh, and even, uh, you know, as of the last time I looked at the the, the data in in our collection. Uh, almost over a month after active exploitation was observed, October 4th, there were still 5,000 plus uh, IP addresses running potentially vulnerable influences of confluence. Um, You know, so what we can see is, well, while that does drive patching action, uh, there's still always a significant amount of of infrastructure out there that could be exploited. Uh, And so having that global visibility uh, of, uh, you know, of the problem and where it is in your attack service, uh, from, from our standpoint can help organizations Action that information much quicker.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, and thank um, you for that review. Uh, did you want to reconstruct a couple more uh, attacks that you're familiar
0: with? Uh, yeah, we can we can kind of walk through the the exchange uh, attack as well. Um, you know, kind of a very uh, a bit different uh, this from more of the, uh, the the nation state side of uh, of things. But uh, you know, RiskIQ, which is now a, a fully owned subsidiary of Microsoft, uh, at the time was not, and we worked with. With Microsoft closely to understand the global scale of this uh, this vulnerability, uh, and so in, in March of this year, uh, you know, Microsoft announced uh, uh, four uh, zero-day vulnerabilities uh, in their on-premise version of Exchange servers, uh, and they released patches for for them out of band um, uh, to ensure that these uh, these vulnerabilities were were patched. At the time of uh, you know of release on March second. Um, they knew that actors, uh, nation state actors, had been uh, actively exploiting those vulnerabilities in the wild. So this was an instance of vulnerability in the wild being exploited, uh, you know, that uh, Microsoft was made aware of from multiple security organizations uh, and researchers uh, that they then had to go and patch and release patches for. Um, If we're looking at a timeline from from that event, uh, you know, uh, by March 10th, a couple other security organizations released that you know they had seen up to ten additional nation-state uh, actors leveraging uh, those vulnerabilities. Uh, and also on March 10th, we saw ransomware actors. Uh, Microsoft uh, reported observations of a group called Deer Cry, uh, which was actively leveraging this this vulnerability um, uh, to to conduct ransomware operations. Uh, and so again, we're we're in an eight-day period uh, of of post-exploitation and in eight days, ransomware actors had kind of gotten into the game uh, and started leveraging that vulnerability uh, in the wild. Uh, and so, you know, where historically it would have been, you know, zero days, very targeted nation state activity attributed to this hafnium group that Microsoft tracks. Oh, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a nation state target. I don't have to worry about this, uh, this vulnerability as, as, as much. Uh, the reality is, is that we're seeing, you know, these other groups uh, start to very quickly leverage those vulnerabilities. Um, and in this scenario, you know, this there was uh, Microsoft was releasing a significant amount of patches, even for servers, uh, Exchange servers that were uh, out of, uh, you know, end of life a, a long time ago. So I think they distributed over 21, you know, different pat- discrete patches over the course of, of a week uh, to ensure uh, that thing- that organizations had the ability to patch even legacy systems. Um, but you know, out of our global visibility, RiskIQ saw. Um, you know, at the time, 400,000 exchange servers online. Uh, of those 400,000, uh, when we looked at, uh, on March 10th, where we saw, you know, uh, ransomware actors and other espionage actors uh, leveraging it, uh, there were still 92,000 servers uh, that, were, that were running vulnerable instances of exchange. Um, and even, again, as of October 4th, when I ran these numbers last, uh, there were still uh, roughly 11,000 uh, servers running uh, and one of the things that we were we did, uh, which was, uh, you know, uncharacteristic because we hadn't really done this motion before, but due to the global scale of this and working with Microsoft, uh, we emailed, uh, we have a, a large system of, of ability to do takedowns for brand infringement. Uh, and we used that uh, that system to email ISPs and ASNs uh, exact locations of where their IP address, uh, IP addresses in their ASN or in their netblocks of where these exchange servers were. Uh, and we saw that that drove, you know, that drove. Uh, actual patch activity. Uh, you know, we got a lot of responses from uh, from ISPs that said, "You know, thank you for sending this to us. We we knew these were probably somewhere. We just didn't know where to look." Uh, and, and our scanning and visibility could provide that information. And so it does go to show that uh, that providing that awareness and that pinpoint you know detection uh, can drive patch behavior. Uh, in a lot of instances, these are legacy systems that were stood up a while ago and just never touched, uh, and therefore you know the organizations didn't know they had to address this.
1: Yeah, thank you for that as well. Uh, great overview. So let's say I'm a startup CEO and founder, and I'm hearing about uh, you know all these attacks that are that keep happening all the time, and I'm I'm worried. What would what would your suggestion to me would be?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I think I think you have to start with uh, with understanding you know who the prime uh, prime actors are who would be targeting your business. What what keeps you up at night? What actors do you worry about? uh and of those actors uh you know uh how do they normally uh you know gain access to an organization and so we we really try to try to you know start with you know organizations of what is a baseline view of my my infrastructure online maybe for 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 an it or a a startup uh it's a little bit better because maybe it's more cloud and, and SaaS based and so there's not uh, legacy equipment to deal with, but but there's still misconfiguration and uh, you know and, and and poor deployments that can take place that that can worry organizations. Uh, so from from our standpoint, it's what's the baseline of uh, of my my attack service uh, on the internet? Uh, what are the actors that are targeting my industry uh, that I'm worried about, uh, and how do they normally gain access? Uh, and then prioritizing an understanding of of if those those avenues of attack exist in your uh, in your infrastructure. Um, you know, and, and shameless plug, we have a community product that can help you with this, right? Uh, you can come into our our, our risk IQ community uh, and trial our Illuminate product, uh, which gives you a, uh, you know, very baseline snapshot of your attack surface. What we know of you based on our discovery algorithms uh, that is connected to the internet uh, and what your exposures may be. Uh, and that can be a very good starting point for awareness uh, to just know, uh, you know, what is that snapshot view? Um, of my internet connected infrastructure
1: mm-hmm. and would you say that service would be complementary to like a risk assessment service or
0: is that like a, a replacement
1: for a risk assessment in your opinion um
0: i, I don't think it's a replacement uh, because we're taking an outside uh outside in view uh, and so we're using our global collection to make uh a, an assessment of your organization based on our knowledge um you know so we are not a vulnerability scanner uh we are trying to to pinpoint areas of your attack service that may be leveraged by by bad actors uh, and help you better manage that and understand it in a dynamic ongoing nature. Uh, And so since we are crawling and scanning the internet on a daily basis, uh, we are updating these snapshots of you uh, on a daily basis. Uh, And therefore we can respond very quickly to new information in in the changing threat environment uh, and put signatures and detection capabilities into our system to identify that and service that to you as an organization. Uh, So so we like to to think of it as kind of continuous monitoring for an organization. Uh, Not necessarily, you know, uh, better than or replaceable to to a risk assessment, um, but a way to to provide situational awareness to, uh, you know, your executive team and your security operations group uh, to make better risk decisions.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. And I have another question I wanted to uh, pick your brain on. would you have like any specific advice to a private company that was actually targeted by a nation
0: state? I mean, that's a hard one. Um, you know, if you don't have experience in, in, in responding to that, you know, I think the, uh, you know, the best thing to do is to, is to call in experts, right? It can be very hard to recover from, from that type of activity. Uh, and there can be very specific, uh, you know, knowledge uh, of the group, of the actor, uh, that a third-party uh, incident response company uh, could really assist with and probably help you remediate in a much faster way uh, than trying to than trying to go it alone. Uh, there's a you know there's a lot of work being done on a daily basis in the industry to to respond and understand these actor groups. Um, you know, and being able to leverage that uh, from a firm that is doing that type of response on a daily basis uh, is probably the best the best route to go um, uh, because you know we can do we do research and we understand these vulnerabilities uh, from an external perspective, but once an actor is inside of a network, um, that's really outside of our, our purview, uh, from risk IQ's perspective. And we partner with other organizations who do incident response to understand that.
1: Yeah. And what would you say about, uh, calling in the authorities for, I mean, if you, uh,
0: yeah, the, the, you know, I mean, working with, uh, with law enforcement, uh, and, and those organizations can be, um, you know, can be fruitful at times. I can also, uh, uh, put certain responsibilities on an organization, uh, and therefore, I would I would defer to uh, the location that they're in uh, and uh, the law enforcement organizations that they would they would be in contact with. Um, I, I certainly think it's a valuable resource, um, and you know I mentioned CISA earlier; they are a great resource for understanding uh, broad scopes of, of these types of actors from a U.S. perspective, uh, whether it's ransomware or nation state. Um, but I do know that that uh, disclosing this to law enforcement comes with other legal hurdles, so. Uh, I don't want to fully make that recommendation uh, without understanding the industry that that organization is in.
1: Okay. Thank you so much for the discussion so far, Steve. Uh, any, anything, uh, any final notes before we wrap this up?
0: Yeah, I, I mentioned the community platform earlier. Uh, and so I just kind of want to reiterate that, uh, that we do offer kind of a community-based access uh, to RiskIQ data, so organizations that are that are just getting into uh, this space or, or curious about what we offer can go to community.riskiq.com and can register for a free account. That gives you access to uh, to a slice of our data. It'll let you trial this um, this Illuminate Attack Service platform. Uh, and, and even if you don't decide to purchase any services, uh, your community community account is still active, and you can still interact with our our threat intelligence portal and our data to conduct investigations. Uh, so we're very big in in kind of engaging the community uh, and providing a, a free tranche of service. So uh, I would encourage anybody who's interested to uh, to certainly go and register for an account uh, and poke around at the data.
1: Okay, sounds good. Um, thank you so f- so much for taking the time, Steve. I uh, enjoyed talking with you. Uh, this was a bit of a, as I told you, like a special edition episode today. Uh, we we decided we want to tackle a few uh, you know um, specific uh, topics. One of them would be you know the the pet intelligence landscape so thank you again for agreeing to uh, to be on this podcast today uh, i hope uh, your answers would you know bear some fruits and uh, information for uh, our listeners and uh, yeah thank you again for taking the time
0: yeah appreciate it thank you for having me and uh, thank you to your listeners for 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 paying attention for for a couple minutes
1: thank you have a good one